Hey everyone, it's uh, 8.30 Eastern. I wanted to take a moment to thank Matt Taibbi and Elon Musk for sparing me from talking about fucking Kanye for two nights in a row. So at least we did that much. Uh, it's episode 70. It's a Twitter files. And Musk had teased that this was coming and teased that it was happening and teased that it was happening. And guys like me said, okay, time to put up or shut up. And he put up in a, in kind of an, a real unusual, I don't want to say masterful way, but and people were expecting Elon Musk to just come here and drop a bunch of documents, or whatever. And journalists were going to poo poo it because that's what they do. It's what they only do. And it's what they are still doing on Twitter right now. And instead he gave the story to Matt Taibbi who his own reporting popped up. Taibbi wrote it, his own Substack about the threat of censoring the Hunter Biden laptop story. And the, the reason this was a smart move is because they can't just write him off as Tucker Carlson, or they can't write it off as the New York Post getting the story. They can't write it off as, you know, Breitbart getting it or whatever, a right-wing partisan. And this has always been their modus operandi. They ignore a story that makes Democrats look bad or progressive journalists look bad. In this case, this story, they ignore it, they ignore it, they ignore it. Only the right talks about it. And then they just report on the right talking about it. Brian Stelter is a master at that kind of format of journalism where you just bury your head. You don't bring up any of these stories. Benghazi was a perfect example of this. Um, this is another one. The IRS story was another perfect example of that, where it only becomes a controversy on the political right because it's affecting the political right. You ignore it. And then you talk about how this is all that's being talked about by the right. And then they mock you and try to make fun of you. They can't really do that in this case. The most that we're seeing is of course, the former NBC cool kids table is having themselves a knife. Both Collins and Zadrozny are kind of sitting there puffing on their cigs and oh, this is nothing. And, um, they really, it's really interesting to see who's upset at a major document leak, an email leak, what have you. Um, I wouldn't say that this is the Pentagon Papers, but it is interesting to see the reaction from journalists who uh, apparently don't do journalism these days. And both Zadrozny and Collins are two of those people who basically just go on television and uh, just spew hatred toward people they don't like politically. Good riddance. Um, this is probably going to be a two-parter because I didn't realize, I know that this is going to be a lot of people are going to have thoughts on this. So I, I will probably <laughs> join the title and put part one on this and probably do part two tomorrow sometime as I will have time and I'm not recording. Taibi's still going through his thread, but I wanted to give my quick hits. Uh, I will also be writing on this probably at Spectator, but uh, my quick hits that I just my quick takeaways that we realized uh, we do have accounts per email. We're being banned per the Biden administration. Biden administration was contacting Twitter to get accounts removed. Um, whatever the content of those accounts are, we know that they went from little accounts to now real James Woods is in there as well. And one of the excuses that this is, you know, pornography or whatever of his son. Well, 
it's not up to the president of the United States or his team to censor anything on social media or to demand that they do it. And in several of these emails, we saw that Twitter had said they handled it. So here you have kind of suspicion number one confirmed, which is that the Biden administration is working with Twitter to censor information. I'll buy it. It could be the president's personal family or uh, COVID or what have you, whatever they want, basically. And Twitter was willing to jump at this. The second thing we have is Vijaya Gad. I kind of say her name like Hogan tweeted Gawker. That's kind of where I'm at. Uh, appeared to be the primary person at Twitter who backed this decision up, uh, defended it. Uh, what was interesting is Jack Dorsey appeared to be nowhere near this, that he wasn't notified. That was probably while he was India getting his anus bleached uh, because of his open his chakras or whatever. But it's interesting that the head of Twitter was not even informed of this. Um, that to me is a company that's too big. And when you get employees who decide we can just do this, we can make this kind of massive decision. And what it looks like is you had 20 something progressive techies. I don't know it might be hacked <laughs> and blocking the story. And that's inexcusable. And those people are thankfully out of their jobs. The other point person on this is who everyone is always suspected was Yoel Roth, head of trust and safety, former. <laughs> um, and he's on Mastodon now saying Taibi's thread is putting lives in danger. Their old played out excuse to censor is people's lives are in danger. And we hear this over and over and over and over again, that if you leak information, oh, these censors, their lives are in danger now. When I don't think anybody gives a shit about who this 25-year-old person at Twitter no longer is there. Uh, as I said, this happened without Jack Dorsey's approval or knowledge. And I think what's interesting about that is ever since that, I would say the 2020 election, the hostility on Twitter by Twitter geared towards political actors or people in media or whatever, whether, whether it be banning accounts or throttling accounts, me, uh, or what have you, has felt like kind of an om ominous nothing cloud where it's not one person making the decision. And you can, what it feels like to me is Jack Dorsey just checked out. And that's one of the reasons he probably left is he's like, I can't be in this environment. One thing that was interesting from Taibi is that he says there's multiple instances in the files of Dorsey intervening to question suspensions and other moderation actions for accounts across the political spectrum. And that to me just sounds like uh, he checked out and he was up against a wave that he could not beat. Uh, Dorsey has had discussions with Elon Musk and Dorsey's endorsed Elon Musk uh, purchase of the company. So this is a, kind of an interesting detail here. Um, another one, Chuck Ross, who's done a lot of good reporting on the Steele dossier and all of the intricacies and the FISA warrants and all of that stuff. He's one of the best guys who has covered that, noted that most significant piece so far, in his opinion, was Jim Baker, who handled the phony Steele dossier as FBI general counsel. He joined Twitter and then supported – he was uh, – he joined uh, Twitter as general counsel and then he was uh, – contacted by Twitter over this, and he supported the censorship of the Hunter Biden laptop story, even though he was uncertain where the information came from. Yes, isn't that ironic in its own special little way? Uh, I know I'm doing this live as Taibi might still be updating, so that's why I'll probably most likely do a part two with more in-depth reaction as I kind of dive into this, read, pull out things, 
his last tweet was uh, the problem with the hack materials ruling as several sources said was that this is normally required an official law enforcement finding of a hack, but such a finding never appears throughout what one executive describes as a world whirlwind 24 hour company wide mess. So there's a few things he still might have to tweet out. As I always said, it was imperative that there was transparency around this, that it had nothing to do with the outcome of the 2020 election. That's not what this is about. Would it have swayed the election? Uh, because I don't, I personally don't believe it would have given the results that we saw, but that is all ir- completely irrelevant to the problem at hand, which is again, you have political activists inside of Twitter deciding we're going to ban accounts primarily on the political right or throttle accounts or shadow ban accounts on the political right because this is simply what we believe is a battle for misinformation and democracy. And uh, one of the other big giveaways we saw in a letter from Democrats about this saying, quote, the First Amendment is not absolute. And uh, that's going to be a big takeaway in all of this. Believe them when they tell you who they are. So those are my quick hits. Uh, I I know I'm probably going to have them scrolling back. I have some people back there. Um, so again, if you, if you were reading his Twitter thread, your takeaways, what this confirmed or what it didn't confirm. One of the things that I was always interested in is finding out if any journalists were personally involved in communications with Twitter over this story. And if any journalists encouraged the banning of this story, and as of now, it doesn't appear that that's the case. We do know, however, based on some of the reactions of the former cool kids table tonight, uh, they are none too pleased about this. And you should pay particular, inf- uh, particular, I don't know, attention to the people in media who are, one, ignoring this drop, or two, saying that this is no big deal, or are just writing this off. But it is uh, extremely telling when someone like Ben Collins says, imagine selling out to the world's richest man for a PR drop, and he works for a $40 billion media conglomerate called Comcast, which he does PR for. Um, There's a lot of people, journalists and people in media who should be ashamed and they should be unemployed. They should be nowhere near the job of being a journalist if they're labeling Taibbi as just the Substack guy. Um, This feels like, I guess on on a microcosmic level, for someone who does what I do, this to me is similar to Matt Drudge getting the Monica Lewinsky story. When Newsweek sat on it and other outlets sat on it, Uh, A little-known kind of internet blogger runs with it, and then everyone wonders, oh, how did this happen? And that's kind of what it feels like this is again. Now, is this the same level of story? No, I wouldn't argue, although, I I mean, there's – you can make an argument it's more important. He's revealing uh, coordination through the federal government with social media platforms to censor essentially political uh, opponents, Um, accounts posting just shitposting or information, and you have – Uh, the Biden White House basically saying you need to get rid of that off the platform and Twitter complying. And uh, the good news is, is it appears at least, and someone who's not a uh, a drooling Elon Musk fanboy, that that is all over with, at least for the time being. And that's something that is uh, undoubtedly good news in all of this. Yoel Roth is gone. Vijay Gad is gone. The people who censored this story are fired And we need to somehow either make sure this never happens again on this scale um, 
or hold people accountable who do. So again, just setting up, uh, I know it's rapid reaction and this is probably still going and it's late and it's been a long dumpster fire of a week and I'm fucking tired. But uh, again, let's just kind of go through this. Uh, ben, if you can hold on, I'm bringing up Dr. Rollergator, who I haven't seen in a while. And Dr. Rollergator suspended on Twitter. And I, I do know that there's people kind of petitioning to have you put back on there. So let me know the status of that that update and, and what you your first reactions to what you're seeing on the t- yeah, I'm still locked out. Nobody, nobody responds. It doesn't matter how uh, how large an account I get to uh, petition on my behalf. Seems uh, Elon has to specifically notice notice you in order to to do anything about it, which is a shame. <clears throat> but uh, with with reactions to this Taibi thing, it's actually in the middle of compiling aspects of this for a new a new article on Substack because um, it, it's it, there, there needs to be some sort of of review of some of the things that that Twitter did over its over its time to actually start to control how we how we share information on its platform, and I was doing it, uh, you know, uh, reverse engineering by by you know reviewing the history of of what people were claiming was happening, things I knew were happening at the time and had documentation of. But this this dump makes makes my life a lot easier because now you can see what was actually being discussed and not just infer it. Now a lot of it matches what I would have uh, assumed was going on, some of the players, but not all of them, and what what their role in it was. But I think one of the key the key things to take away from this is you don't even really need some sort of nefarious nefarious collusion or or conspiracy to get this outcome. You just need a whole bunch of people with the same type of of mindset, which which you just you posted from um, Mastodon what what Yol was was saying. This mindset of of harm. They have this this preoccupation in in their head with what constitutes harm and uh you'll in the taibis uh thread he reveals yol roth saying um that they want to make sure they learn lessons from 2016 now there were two things that happened in 2016 one of them was comey coming out and and uh explaining that yes indeed hillary had had a you know a private server with plenty of of uh, material that should not have been on there violating laws that she had claimed she did not violate the entire time. But there was also the Guccifer hack, which was where the DNC actually had uh, one of its servers hacked and emails leaked. There was also the Podesta one, but that wasn't tied to Guccifer. That was, that was just released through WikiLeaks and they never specified who their, uh, who their supplier was. Uh, that's where the, uh, the one kid who got uh, the intern who got shot and it was claimed it was a robbery. Uh, his name's escaping me at the time. That's where that conspiracy came from, though. You're, ta- you're it talking was, about it was... the Seth Rich conspiracy. Seth yeah. Rich, yes, thank you. Yeah, so so the the Guccifer hacked materials uh, could come into the hacked materials lesson, so to speak, where you have a random account maybe on Twitter posting links to you know drop boxes or or other um, maybe BitTorrents where these ma- ma- hacked materials can be downloaded in mass. That would be where a hacked materials policy comes in, but it's not where it would be an absolute misapplication to deal with news outlets because you have WikiLeaks itself 
WikiLeaks itself with an account, and it was dropping from all from 2016 throughout that election. It was dropping things until Julian Assange got, uh, you know, got arrested and put in a forever away jail. Um, you know, he they they release hack materials all the time, right? But they're established as a media outlet, a news outlet. Therefore, there is no hacked materials policy when it comes to that stuff. They can post everything onto Twitter. You know, the hacked materials policy would have to apply to like a random account popping up and posting links to hacked materials, not not the the New York Post. But that's what you see the that's what you see this chain here. Them trying to have an idea of what harm constitutes, have this mindset that their entire job is to minimize some some amorphous blob of harm and that that's, that's going to guide every single one of their decisions and they're going to retroactively justify it after they really decide that they're going to take action. They're going to justify it. And, and, and they do it on everything. They do it. You, we can't talk about... Uh, we can't talk about gender theory. We can't talk about critical race theory. We can't talk about again, corporate media censorship, because it's always, you're putting lives in danger. And that is something that has been used by censors throughout history. It was the excuse for the PMRC by Tipper Gore, is that we have to, you know, we have to get rid of this music because people are killing themselves or the satanic panic. And this is why, I mean, we've seen this before. And that's the thing is, um, it's what's really interesting to see the same kind of 25, 26, 27-year-old Ben Collins types reporters enact the same fucking kind of characteristics every single time. is because it's their one justification to censor. Uh, when you accuse someone of, say, being racist, or if you accuse someone of wanting to kill someone, that generally gets people to go, oh, well, shit, I, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that, like, whatever. Um, not people, say, who are kind of in the arena. Um, and the other one that... You talk, he talks about Zed Jelani had a good tweet. He was ultimately going to be enforced in a partisan way. The Twitter files Taibbi shared kept referencing 2016, one very particular election with one specific partisan implication. And as I said, the fact that you had these just these 20 something progressive techies who all just hit the panic button. Um, these people belong nowhere near that having this kind of power. That's it's really just that simple and know what Elon Musk turns Twitter into, but it's again, it's undoubtedly a good thing. It's not what it was. Yeah. I, I I'm, I'm still not convinced that Elon's going to completely separate himself from that sort of thinking. Cause we, I mean, I don't want to bring up Kanye uh, to, to derail anything, but that is sort of what he just did to Kanye, his justification for, Kicking, you know, suspending Kanye, which looks to be a permanent suspension, uh, you know, is sort of the same logic. It's almost the same identical logic that they use to to ban Trump from from Twitter, and it goes against what he said a couple about two weeks ago was was the new policy, which was that they were going to only target you know tweets and and. Uh, they were going to deboost the tweets and and suppress them so that you know you had to go specifically seek out the tweet. It wouldn't just you know get to flow around and be promoted by the algorithms or anything. But they instead he decided to just ban Kanye and claim it was inciting violence. But the the tweet itself was not an incite uh, you know inciting violence unless you start to use um, the idea that people would see it and therefore, uh, be encouraged by the imagery and decide themselves to go take action on something. There was no, there was no incitement to violence. So I don't know how much he's going to escape it, but 
as long as he can sort of keep that incestuous relationship uh, away from uh, away from employees where they're constantly talking to their media buddies, where they're constant, where, where there's like a revolving door with, with uh, Congress where all the interns decide to go work for, for the, the tech platforms. If he can keep boundaries there, maybe it won't be as bad as it got, but there was just an entire group think focused on this, this vague concept of reduction of harm, which was only filtered through their, their paradigm. It, it, you know, that it, if he yeah. can avoid that, I think it'll be, Yeah, and it wasn't just the blocking of the story. It was Twitter just basically just, it's like they got overrun with the power of blocking accounts that they just saw, like you said, as dangerous, or just even on the political right. And whether that came down to vaccines or the CDC or whatever, that's really what Twitter has felt like the last year in particular. Like, it's just, we're just getting rid of people we don't like. And that's it with almost no justification or whatsoever. And um, and then you also basically, like I said, you have this, you know, you have it in emails now. You have the Biden administration saying, here are six accounts we need you to get rid of and then handled like without it's like they didn't even they didn't even stop to, to say, OK, hold on. Why? Why is the Biden administration giving us this stuff to count? Why are these big deals uh, clicking on the account? Well, this user has 56 followers or whatever. Um, they just they jumped at everything that the political left basically told them to. And a lot of that, the fact that Vijaya Gad did this without Dorsey is really interesting to me. Or she at least became the point person. And, uh, of course, you had Mo, Mo uh, Khanna come in uh, on his Gmail account, mind you. Um, you know, couldn't do it on his government account. He had to send a secret note to a friend and say, hey, you know, you're getting pushback for this and they're still hiding behind the hacked materials thing, which you're right. It wasn't a hacked material. It was a newspaper story about this laptop and they just they blocked it and they said, oh, we'll deal with this later, I guess, as did Facebook. People are forgetting the fact that Facebook also limited the sharing of this story. And this it's it's highly entertaining to me to see someone like uh, Ben Gollins just poo pooing this when literally what Taibi is doing is journalism. It's Twitter blocked an accurate news story. Maybe they took the risk that, hey, this is a Russian operation through the New York Post or Rudy Giuliani or whatever. But the fact of the matter is you had your chance. You blocked an accurate news story and not a single journalist is out there going how or why that happened until now, two and a half years later. And here's a guy doing it. He's saying, hey, here's everything that happened. Here's here's who was against it. Here's who's questioning it. Um, here's people who are kind of like, what is this going to do? Here's here's emails from government officials weighing in, saying that this is a catastrophe and you shouldn't have done this. Um, and here you have it. And then and here you have, as I say, the journal, the, the journal cool kids table can't be bothered because uh, they lost all of these people and they lost all of their friends. Brandy Zadrozny is right now promoting Yoel Roth and his interview with Kara Swisher on her Twitter feed saying, well, you should go back and revisit this. And again, they're, they're giving everything away without telling you. And you're learning now Yoel Roth was probably a major source for journalists inside that building, as was Vijaya Gad. I think I saw uh, DeSantis press secretary, Christina Peshaw, say, why didn't Jack Dorsey just fire her? over the over this back and forth and i very simply jack dorsey hates pr problems he's always hated uh bad pr for twitter he's always kind of recoiled at it 
which is why he, you know, bans lower level accounts. It was, as I've always said, it's easy to kick someone like Laura Loomer off, off of Twitter. It's harder to do it with someone like Ice Cube, who was also posting memes like Kanye, by the way. And so Dorsey always kind of recoils at PR disasters. And he knows that if he bans a, a high ranking leftist account, whatever, he, he's going to get shit on end from all corners of the New York Times to the Washington Post. And the same thing with Vijay Gad. If he fires her in this little exchange and says, you shouldn't have done this. You didn't notify me. Why didn't you do that? You're fired. Goodbye. She goes running to the New York Times, NBC, uh, Washington Post. And again, it's under that pretense of Jack Dorsey firing Vijay Gad will only put lives at risk. And There's, so there was I, I was re going over the, um, the, the congressional hearings uh, over this this uh, fiasco. And at the time that, uh, that uh, Dorsey was giving testimony in an exchange with Ted Cruz, you know, the, the New York post was still locked out of their account. And Dorsey is, is, is discussing all of the things that they had reversed. Okay. Now they had changed their, their hacked materials policy in some way. I have to review exactly what the modification was, but they had, they had, you know, looked it over and, he agreed that they had agreed that it was an error to do this. So they had changed the rules. And now all New York, New York Post needed to do was delete the tweet and they could get back into their account. And which is, which was, is what know, Jake Tapper told them to do as well. Yeah. Brave right. journalist, good, First Amendment defender of the press, Jake Tapper. There was a good back and forth, you know, uh, on that. Cruz was getting a little bit upset. And... Um, you know, the, the, the point was that the Dorsey stuck to that where all they have to do is delete the tweet. And I, I, I tr I've been trying to figure out Dorsey for a while and, and get, you know, figure out his mindset because he's so, he seems so with, uh, you know, waffly. He doesn't have, seem to have like a spine of any kind. And so when, when he tries, when he makes like, you know, these, these statements on Twitter that seem very strong, they never seem to have anything behind them. He never seems to have a force. But the the at the point where he is justifying the fact that he's going to force them to delete a tweet that he admits they shouldn't have, they should have never had to uh, to get locked out over in the first place is is a it's probably going to need a book to explain the logic that gets you there where you're in front of Congress and telling people that the New York Post is the one that has to delete the tweet and you just won't remove the infraction. I I can't imagine what logic goes into yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, but. this is all, I mean, Taibbi's going to release more, but this is probably going to be Taibbi's next book, too, and Dorsey will probably be a big part of that. Um, so, I mean, it's funny because I'm just sitting here like, oh, okay, so half of the shit that we thought was actually happening was happening. And like I said, at least for now, I guess I'm relieved, despite how much I fucking hate journalists, that at least for now, I'm relieved that maybe there was a monicum of uh, integrity to where you didn't have Media Matters people or, or CNN reporters or whatever being the ones telling them to stop this because this is disinformation. It's another email thing. It's another WikiLeaks drop or whatever. Uh, but uh, Taibbi is saying in the coming days is going to release more about throttling accounts, shadow bans, things of like that nature. And that's just kind of one of these things where I'm like, OK, well, what, what am I going to wait on now? Because we've been waiting two years for these answers. And again, it's all of the characters that uh, we, all, we were kind of hinted at were all involved in this. And it needs to make sure to where this never happens again, like ever. And I don't know how you make sure of that other than, you know, turning the company over to, you know, coders who are more interested in a smooth running website than they are getting their preferred candidate into the White House. 
Uh, I'll give you the last word, Doctor, and then I gotta kind of jump off to some. Yeah, so I just I I, I think it's going it's going to be it's going to be interesting to try to figure out how to protect that long term, and I really think it involves trying to make sure that you in absolutely no way have have the the type of trifecta incestuous relationship between the media, the employees, and and the the government, and to the point where you are just not you sort of have like a policy of not hiring people who have worked for the DNC or worked for the RNC for that matter, anyone who's, you know, been uh, a higher level staffer in any level of, of government sort of just should not have a position in any of those decisions. I, I don't know why Jim Baker was involved in that, you know, decision-making capacity to any degree for a social media company, but he wound up in that position. I, I think, so those types I think of things... what's interesting with his link to this is where did that letter come from? The 50 Intel uh, labeled it as Russian misinformation when this is a guy who was running point on the Steele dossier for David Korn. I mean, it's it's just you you get this sort of this reminds me in a way of the SBS thing where you you're seeing how all of the sausage is made behind the scenes, and you don't have to be a conspiracy theorist to sit here and go, yeah, here are all the same pieces popping up all of a sudden. And, you know, to have this guy running point for counsel at Twitter, and this is a guy who was running the Steele dossier, and then suddenly a letter comes out that Jen Psaki promotes uh, as 50 intel experts say that this is Russia disinformation. Oh, oops. And these people are still the ones uh, sitting on our television when we watch MSNBC. So yeah. No, I just I just think if, if he can avoid having that sort of of relationship, he can he can stem the tide. But if that if the doors are still open in that degree, we're just going to wind up, of, you know, down the road in a very similar place. And, you know, maybe he changes the platform fundamentally so it's no longer like the Twitter it is right now. And, and it's a moot point. But, you know, the once once they make the decision, once they have that control and they say, OK, well, we're going to ban this Hunter Biden laptop story, et cetera, even if they conclude that was a mistake. They've made now an opening, an open door for them to start to moderate differently. And that's what basically what they were doing. Once they did it once, they were just going to find new reasons to play with their toys and continue to moderate in the, in this uh, this uh, sort of you know, myopic mindset that just said we have to reduce this harm and whatever they imagined in their their little social circles was harm was what they were going to moderate. All right, thanks for the thanks for the time. Have what's your uh, what's your Substack so people can find you if you're not on Twitter? DrRollerGator.substack.com. All right, well, I, I think you could probably expect to get back if he's doing amnesty for just mass amnesty for accounts. Then just sit, <laughs> sit tight, but you'll probably you'll probably some editor from the Daily Stormer back on today, but not me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, yay, we here we go. But I would say just sit tight, but um, at least people can find you over there. So uh, I appreciate it. You have kind of a you have a good mind and background for this stuff, so I appreciate it. All right, thanks for the time. Thanks, doctor. Uh, we'll just kind of try to go a little bit in order here. Ben, thanks for being patient while I uh, brought him up there, but go ahead. Your first. Um, yeah, look, only one thought. There's not too much there that we kind of already didn't suspect, but it is kind of interesting to see how the sausage gets made. The one thing that stood out to me was the emails between Congressman Kana and uh, Vijay Gad, and just kind of the the casualness of the language, um, you know, the first one and like acknowledge it sent from his iPhone. He signs off best row 
Oh yeah, um, no, they know each other. The dry gag. She's she's yeah, she's and, and very and much well connected with you know obviously Democrat politicians. The one I noticed on that is he was the only one per Taibbi who raised that concern in the Democratic Party, and then we also got Democrats saying uh, the First Amendment is not absolute, and I think that that's interesting that he's the only guy to jump in and go, hey, look, I think Biden is fine. You didn't actually do anything, but what you're doing here taking a story which could have disappeared within three to four days and you've now made it this huge thing that's probably not going to go away for a while and he was right about that but again Taibbi notes he's the only one really scanning emails of that side of the aisle that spoke yeah and yeah so that's the only point I kind of really found interesting is that's just indicative of the kind of connections that she has and how and I suspect we'll see more emails like that to just demonstrate that insidious nature um, between, you know, Twitter at the time and and politicians. So, yeah, that's the only kind of thing I had. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm sitting here listening and I'm looking at live updates. And, yeah, again, there's there, – Collins is just – I don't know how this dude just rocketed to the top of – uh, being Twitter's worst person on the website, but uh, he he has leapfrogged over people who all had White House invites just a few weeks ago. And again, to me, that's the most important thing in all of this, that it wasn't just a social, it wasn't that they were banning the story. It was also that they were possibly boosting accounts, de-boosting accounts, whatever. They basically turned Twitter into their own political plaything. And it was unsustainable with the, with how it was going. And uh, the fact that, you know, this is out there and there's going to be some negatives that are going to come with Elon Musk having Twitter, obviously watching uh, Kanye's kind of warped Batman V Superman logo was not something that uh, was expected. But um, yeah, I, I look at this and I say where it was in August and September, it was, it, it got to a point to where, these people were overstepping their boundaries about what social media is and what it should be and what it can be. And again, it was because we think that they got away with the Hunter Biden story, which they, for the most part did for a bunch of years. I don't even think we had congressional hearings on it. We might now. Um, but the fact that they were able to just get away with this for so long is, uh, is something again, like Dr. Rollergator said, is something that needs to be studied and made sure that it never happens again. So um, yeah, just my final thought. It, I think this will come before Congress again. And I just want someone to ask what the rationale of the hacked material policy is. Like, what is what is the moral ethical difference between something that is hacked, you know, quote unquote, and something that's, you know, like just provided um, in a non-hacked manner? Like, what's the difference between me walking into the DNC headquarters and John Podesta has left his, e- his computer open because he's a moron, and I just print off all his emails and give them to a journalist and give them the WikiLeaks. Do you? What's do the- you? Yeah. Do you think that if this was reversed and if the story was we have we have emails or a laptop from Don Junior Trump showing him, you know, smoking crack and partying with Russian hookers? Do you think that that story would have been suspended? There's not a single person in this audience or on this planet that thinks Twitter would have stopped that story. Yeah, absolutely. And like Trump's, Trump's tax returns are going to be leaked. Um, that's, that's inevitable. Correct. But 
does that mean does that mean they could have been on you know the old Twitter because they weren't hacked? And and how is it materially different if his say tax you know tax records were hacked? Like it it's it, to me it seems like a you know a point without a difference. Either the material is is not suitable for you know public consumption and it's not you know appropriate to be consumed publicly, or it is, and the method in which it is obtained is largely point you know it's secondary to that consideration. Um, yeah, no, and that's, and this is again, that this is always the problem is, um, basically it was the bias of this whole story where we know that, um, had this role been reversed, you know, think of the Billy Bush tape getting released, you know, two weeks before the election, where did that come from? Well, we just gave it to the journalist. Well, if somebody just gives the laptop to a journalist, that's not really hacked materials. And especially if the journalist goes and gets, you know, the information, it goes and, you know, goes and sees an information technologist and gets all of that data off of the laptop. Um, that's not like hacked materials. And then even if something is hacked, how is this not newsworthy regardless? Um, so, some of the biggest stories in recent years have been, you know, done through hacks. And it's, it, this was also Twitter basically saying, hey, we're not going to allow a newsworthy story spread, an accurate newsworthy story spread. And uh, it, you, you can make an argument that that was kind of the first domino that led to where we are today, along with the uh, banning of the Babylon Bee account. And so um, I, the thing is, it's, it's kind of a relief that this is getting out there finally, um, but it's, there's still so much to pour over this, and there's going to be far more questions and answers here coming, even off of uh, Taibbi's thread here in the coming days. So, Ben, thank you. I'm going to just boot him there. We have another gator. It's a night of gators, I guess. Hey, Stephen, how are you doing? Uh, I'm tired, but I'm relieved. I'm relieved we're not talking about fucking Kanye West. Yeah, me too. Okay, cool. Look, um, I want to sort of just put a, point, put a few different angles on this, really, and just sort of point out there's what what we're seeing now is a demonstration of something which... Um, I think people should bear in mind prior prior to this kind of evidence of a whether Hunter Biden's laptop was a real story or not, and b whether social media working with the state to um, <clears throat> essentially suppress free speech um, was whether whether either of those two things were real was often a question um, which was met with the answer conspiracy theory. Well, I honestly would say to anyone, no matter what f school of thought you live in. You should dispense with that term because a conspiracy is simply two or more people agreeing to act sometimes or often in a, in a way that might be illegal. And what we're seeing here is literally a concerted conspiracy between the highest office in the land. Now, just because Joe Biden isn't on those emails doesn't mean to say he doesn't know what's going on. And... Um, the technology company, essentially, and then this gets me onto another point, which is that I would ask people to consider whether they can, whether they think any of this is an indicator that they are living in either a corporatocracy or a technocracy or both, because I think it is, and the, and on a big scale political level, this is what interests me more than the minutiae of whose account is coming back to Twitter. And then, the, then the, I, another. I, I would. I would agree with that. 
I think cool. I, I think that that is the collusion of government and tech. I had someone, you know, kind of tweet at me about Taibi used to kind of be a, a guy who would be against Musk. He'd be against billionaires and corp, you know, a single guy owning such kind of a platform and whatever. And he deleted the tweet as I was replying. But my reply to him was, you know, yeah. And seven years ago, I wasn't talking with or tweeting with Glenn Greenwald. And what, I mean, all you have is, I think, a collection of individuals who uh, have just kind of found their herd, and that's just what they're going with. And my herd isn't so much anymore Republican versus Democrat, because I don't think that that's what it is. I don't think it's red versus blue anymore. I think it's basically this versus them. And Glenn is pretty much right on the nose when he says that the collusion of governments with big tech, specifically as it relates to censorship or how you describe it in censoring policies or influence policies, uh, boosting accounts, deboosting accounts as narratives go, um, it's it's the biggest threat facing us today. And that that's kind of why I don't really care about Taibbi's politics. I don't care about Glenn Greenwald's politics. I'm willing to stand with the people that I agree with are the biggest threats. And that's why I formed some of those relationships. That's why I tweet regularly with people on the left that uh, seven years ago, I would just have knocked myself out over. And so I just wanted to jump in and say that, yeah, I, I mean, that to me is the biggest threat we're facing today is the fact that you have a, a collection of individuals, uh, both in Washington and both in Silicon Valley, who don't see a problem in any of this. They don't see a problem in, you know, pa- what, what's the big deal? We just pause the story for a day or two. And the problem is most of the people saying that are also in corporate journalism now and you essentially don't have a fourth estate anymore and that's the biggest problem in all of this and this is something why this podcast exists it's why my patreon exists is because without that without that checks and balance you what you basically have and taibi said this on a Substack the other day you don't have news reporting anymore you have narrative setting and we saw that at the club q shooting for example before there was any evidence out you had these people on, you had journalists on TV going and blaming Tucker Carlson for it all, before mm. anything was released. And that's kind of all it is now for those people. So when a genuine act of journalism happens, as it did tonight on Twitter, and I, I'm not a big fan of the, the Twitter thread. I mean, Musk is clearly doing it on Twitter to say, hey, we're going to be transparent about our platform. Um, but I'm sitting here trying to read his thread, and I'm just getting replies and replies and replies. I'm just like, fuck. So, yeah. I mean, I just wanted to jump in and say, yeah, no, you, you're right at what the threats are. And that's that's the realignment you're seeing. You're not seeing red. You're not seeing red versus blue. You're seeing us. Yeah. And, and OK, so whilst, you know, just sticking with that, then you see, the thing is, let's just go back and just ask ourselves a couple of questions about whether we've seen this before. And the answer is yes. And it's not just tech right now. Tech, you ask the question, why, why would you why would we um be doing this hey it's it's only a bit of narrative correction we're only doing it for the benefit of the majority would be shitty arguments that are rolled out here you or know, like under the guise of disinformation saving lives and misinformation which are two two completely undefined terms let's not forget okay disinformation can be anything that somebody wants and so can misinformation right that that is a warning a red flag in itself right but all we're seeing now is an increasing number of of evidential cases of tech corporatocracy and technocracy together combined. Now, if we go back far enough, the form that this took was different. 
but the end result was the same. If anybody's familiar with the um, DuPont Chemicals C8 release, which is where they've released these forever chemicals, PFOAs, into the water course since 1967, knowingly, because it was a carcinogenic and they knew it and they kept releasing it and they never protected their workers. Now, why is that an example of the same thing? Because that case showed that DuPont had captured the EPA. The EPA had signed off and colluded to protect DuPont. And ultimately, when the, when the cases were prosecuted via a minority of individuals um, on a, an incredible scale of damages, the regulator and therefore the government was in on it. Right now, this is exactly the same thing, right? Except the weird thing is that there's barely a regulator because why? Well, because government has deliberately made, remained shit at regulating tech. Why? Because the government uses tech and has embraced it completely. Okay. And it has now merged with government in a, as a way to socially control people. And this is the, it, any everyone listening to this needs to read a relatively short book, which sounds uninteresting, but it's incredibly revealing. It's over 10 years old. It's called When Google Met WikiLeaks. Basically, what this story tells you is exactly this trajectory, right? Eric Schmidt took over as, as CEO of Google. He was the corporate whore, boring corporate whore who, who wanted to steal ideas, according to WikiLeaks, about how I can use Google to what, what does Google need to become? He basically sat down with good for good faith conversations about technological futures with Julian Assange, who, was a, who admits to being naive, talked about darkness and threats and things that he thought about the Internet that needed to be careful about. And basically, Eric Schmidt took all those ideas and turned Google into that. Now, Google is running the US government and so is Amazon. Ask yourself how many government arms are seated on Google or Amazon web servers. It's a lot. Right. That means that those companies are running your government. That means we're living in a, in, in a corporatocracy and they're all technologists making a lot of decisions. That's not a good setup. Right now. One thing that I would say, and I'd flip it a little bit, is I will wholeheartedly admit that my first test of Elon Musk's integrity in this is whether he's going to show any where where the bodies are buried. And this is one attempt to do that. Right. But. I know this is going to sound cynical. I believe that people need to be cynical from now on on this. Very, very cynical. Because what I think is really going on is that an oligarch who is a defense intelligence contractor, let's not forget Starlink is is powering the connectivity inside a war zone and was also Starlink was strapped to the drones that hit the Russian naval vessels. Those, those drones were powered by Starlink internet connectivity. Um, that oligarch has bought something that probably isn't worth 44 and a half billion quid. He's now realized you don't need three and a half thousand coders to run a stable code base. Let's sack a load of them. Oh, and loads of them probably aren't coders anyway. And then he's going, how do I effectively rebrand this? Because maybe 50% of the accounts are bots and a lot of people are disinterested in this now. If I was running this rebranding, I would find low-hanging sacrificial fruit and cut them loose quick in really, really explosive ways to try to give you the impression that I have transformed things for you. But what I would do underneath is I would simply remap it so that you didn't know how I was fucking you over the second time round, right? And, that, and the real test 
is whether anyone understands any of the code base and any of the algorithm of, of, of Twitter that covers shadow banning control and things like this. And then I think you alluded to it or the, or the earlier caller did, where then you're going to have to just wait until you find the bits Elon Musk doesn't like people talking about. And that's probably going to be Elon Musk. And that's probably going to be the Ukraine war. And that's probably going to be Starlink in the Ukraine war. All those sorts of things. That's what we need to be looking at. This is a form of journalistic theatre at the moment. I'm not saying it's unwelcome, but I'm saying be much more cautious about it. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with a lot of that in the sense of being skeptical of Musk. And you're, you're right that it's funny that people forget, like, this guy is one of the largest defense contractors in the United States, especially when it pertains to SpaceX. And like you mentioned, Starlink and the subsidies and, you know, the contracts he's probably getting through electric vehicles. And that's, and also his contacts through China make me very uncomfortable. And that's why I've kind of, you know, said to people, just don't, don't turn into one of those fan guy reply guys. Just don't do that. Um, Just sit back, watch what he does, see what happens. But uh, it's, it's similar. It's a similar dynamic of Kanye West and it's why I'm cynical and skeptical of, of anyone with that kind of power and, and everyone should be this him releasing this stuff tonight is is again undoubtedly a good thing and, and I do appreciate that um, but again we, we don't really know where he plans to take any of this and, and a lot of what you said about Starlink is right you know remember he had you know people he had Ukrainian ambassadors on Twitter telling him to fuck off and then he just turned off the internet <laughs> Over there, he's like, all right, okay. And then he was the bad guy in that. And so, yeah, there's a lot of moving pieces in this. But, um, you know, to kind of sum up, again, the point that I think you you hit the best on is the collusion of technology with governments is, to me, to me it's it's – it's the it's the it's the most visible threat that we have, and we, when we've seen and how we see how they're using it, and you're right, not just banning accounts, but it's how again they're they're controlling which information that you see or don't see, or if someone kind of says, "Hey, I have some questions about this vaccine," and when social media, especially Twitter, just becomes an arm of uh, of a department of the government, like the CDC, for instance. Um, I, for the most part, thought vaccine was fine. It's safe, whatever. It's not that I disagree with what's coming out, but I just generally don't trust anything coming out of the federal government. So when Twitter just becomes the activist arm of those people, uh, it becomes increasingly dangerous and not in the sense of lives, but it becomes increasingly dangerous to our freedoms and our liberties. So uh, Gator, I'll give you one, one last quick word. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I, I agree with that. I mean, if we look at kind of the in, initial, um, the, those, those um, what do you call it? Um, the emails that say, can we just label this as essentially uh, questionable or unsafe or whatever the label was? <clears throat> you know, they're not just doing that. They were literally throttling uh, information progression, weren't they? And, you know, users have no idea how to do that. But but you'll see the same with every form of communication. Substack has this ability as well because it promotes Substack articles or writers through its network. But you've got but writers have got no idea how that's done. So they don't know how to influence it. They don't know, you know, how to how to have any positive or, or negative effects on it. All of this is is essentially the mark of, you know, a, a private platform. They can do what they want. Right. And um and there is no regulation around it. And then that's the other problem is that 
how can you trust a regulator of a government or and not just a party, but a total government platform that's in on it already? You know, you, you will never be able to trust the regulation of this. And the regulator will never have true competency in technology ever. They will always be behind the curve and um, it will always take crimes before a regulator steps in to correct another to, to make another regulatory move. So, you know, um, stay sceptical and stay suspicious is what I would say, really. Thanks, Thanks Stephen. Gator. Appreciate your thoughts. I'm going to uh, I'm going to shuffle things up here a bit for a second. I'm going to take John, who I've seen before, but isn't called in a. Hey, Stephen. I I, uh, I only have a few thoughts on Musk. I, I wasn't able to uh, read through Tybee's thread because I've got kids. But my, my I don't really care as much about whether he's revealing what Twitter's done before. I'm more interested in him being clear about what Twitter's doing going forward um, and uh, transparency about uh, the policies going forward. So the Kanye stuff from last night or two nights ago, where he's labeling one tweet as as okay, but one tweet is bannable. Um, uh, in replies to Kanye, uh, why? Uh, uh, what what was about Kanye's stupid uh, Raelian uh, logo tweet uh, that was incitement to violence? Obviously, it's a Nazi symbol, but I'm not quite sure what he was getting out there. So I'd like to see some consistency from Musk in terms of what he's actually doing going forward and less about what Twitter's done in the past. I think it's important to see what was done, but as far as the future goes, I I have no idea what the guy's doing. Uh, I'm kind of with you on that about, I I don't know. He's basically enacting policies through Fiat, which is okay. It's his company. He can, he can just do that. Um, And that's also one of the, you know, that's one of the big screechy concerns of, you know, the coalition, the very concerned with Neil Ross, whatever like that. My answer to that is you guys blew it. Your Roth blew it. He had his chance as if was again, you had your chance with the platform and you completely blew it. And it, you blew it starting with the banning of, uh, or the blocking of the New York post story. And then decisions since then, uh, blocking, you know, doctors who are PhDs, for instance, um, and experts in their field because they have a different opinion than what's being pushed on, say, COVID lockdowns. Um, and I guess that that's, that's always how I've looked at this. Uh, that of which we do not speak of at the Washington Post, um, I don't want to say the name three times, wrote a whole column on the COVID disinformation policy changing and saying this will no longer be infected, or I'm sorry, uh, enforced. <laughs> Uh, it's, I've had a long week guys. Um, and she, they, she went down all of the, the things, the policies, and it's like, hold on, you were wrong on, uh, vaccine efficacy. You were wrong on mild cases of myocarditis. You were wrong on, uh, studies, uh, now looking at the effect on menstrual, menstrual cycles. You're wrong on the efficacy of masks. You were wrong on, uh, the vaccine cannot prevent transmission. You were wrong on five things. And how I feel about them is irrelevant, okay? Um, some I agree, some I disagree. But you had your chance, and you, you just you guys blew it. So whatever Twitter becomes now, I don't know what to tell you. And I and it's maybe it's a kind of burn it down attitude. But I don't. I'm not particularly interested in that argument. Not not the one you're not making. I'm making the one that they're making. 
insane. Like, look, guys, right. Yo Roth can go scream his head off on Mastodon or to Kara Swisher, and I don't care because that guy had his chance. He he showed that he should be nowhere near the level of power at trust and safety that he had because he showed that he cannot make uh, principled decisions, rational, balanced decisions. He makes decisions as a political activist, and again how we got here is basically because you guys decided to ban a comedy website by calling a man a man. That's it. That's how we, that's basically what Elon Musk, I mean, shortly after that, Elon Musk is hanging out with the Babylon Bee. And so yeah. here we are. And so, yeah, I'm with you. I, I'm far more interested. Once a lot of this shit gets cleared, because I do think that they have a lot to answer for. And a lot to answer for was the the blocking of the story. The, the next one for me is if it was happening, shadow banning and throttling accounts. That's always something I've kind of been on the fence on. But I'm also someone where I think I experienced it in the last three to four months. Because I can, I can kind of look at numbers and data both through my Twitter account and both through my Patreon account, which is how I advertise. And, and look at numbers and go, huh, you know, for the last four months I've been stale and here I'm not anymore. And so, but I'm not someone who jumps headlong into that. I'd like to see proof or data that it was happening or not happening. And then once we've gotten taken care of that, then we can go forward and see what Twitter is going to become and the decisions he's going to make and how, what he's going to do with it. And as I've said, I think he's probably going to aim to turn it into a Substack-like model with subscribers. That's my belief just based on the little tinkering that I've personally seen. And so the account moderation stuff, I, I have to be honest, I'm not, I don't know if I'm not that interested in it. I, I see both sides of that argument. I see the argument of um, Kanye's stupid little doodle, which he didn't even create. It's from some like weird Mars cult or something. Um, I, I, I fail to see how that incites violence, although you can certainly argue Kanye West's uh, InfoWars interview certainly didn't help that case much. Um, but I also see the argument where people say, you know, the fucking Ayatollah of Iran is still on Twitter. And my policy is I don't think that any world leader, especially through government, should be, have access to a Twitter account if their citizenry doesn't either. That's pretty much the one thing I'm firm on. And again, whatever Twitter becomes. And I said, it's not so much that it won't become worse, but it was unsustainable at what it was. And what it was is ever since the, uh, the New York post story, Twitter has been working with departments such as the DHS and people like Nina Jankowicz to control what they perceive to be misinformation. And this whole thing about the Hunter Biden laptop story is, is patient zero in the fight of why your battle against disinformation is flawed and it has to be snuffed out because it's not about disinformation. It's about information you don't agree with. And that's pretty much all that needs to be said about that. So John, I'll give you a last word. I'm going to try to speed through what we. Yeah, no, um, I agree. I basically agree with your take. Uh, I had a quick thought and sorry to ruin your night on Kanye itself. Um, coming from a slightly different perspective, uh, uh, I've got some friends. Uh, I've run into some weird academic um, uh, Catholic circles. I'm I'm, I'm a university, university professor, and I've got some friends who are into Nick Fuentes for some goddamn reason. Uh, but the the best that I can tell with Kanye uh, is 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 two things. Uh, the first is the all the bullshit he's he's spouting. I don't think he has any coherent worldview. 
And I think it's partly like you said on the podcast earlier, right? There's an influence there from Farrakhan and other things, but there's also this weird um, underground uh, kind of newsletter uh, type alt-right uh, uh, kind of Catholic intellectual thing uh, with E. Michael Jones, who's, who's this weird guy who blames everything on the Jews, but he uses Jews as a type for atheist or something, as far as I can tell. And he, it seems like he's kind of stumbled his way into a circle that he doesn't quite know, and he's taking and he's taking notes from and taking promptings from people like Milo and people like Fuentes. And what I really ultimately think, and and I and I'll, I'll take the college that you had the other night uh, talking, you know, the Jewish college you had the other night, saying they're genuinely disturbed by this, and I'll, I'll take them as face value. I, I I I'm not afraid of him for saying these things, but I'm not Jewish. But ultimately, I don't see how it is at all the fault of the right that Kanye happened to happened to go cracked and stumbled across some fucking weirdos uh, in in the depths of the alt right uh, who have some weird interpretations of scripture and theologies, and he's suddenly spouting those, and that's suddenly our problem that he found out about people who we don't even endorse that that. That the the entire point is that the media made him. That's the only reason why we are listening to this. If Fuentes was just going off about this, no one would pay attention. The reason his name is being mentioned is because he was with Kanye and he met with Trump. And I just wish that they would just all just fuck off. Um, the the problem is is that Trump took an Oval Office meeting with the guy. I mean, that's your ultimate, it doesn't mean it's an endorsement of, of, the, of the entire political right or anything, but um, I mean, Trump, I mean, the funniest thing to me, this whole thing is everyone's talking about how Trump took a meeting with Fuentes. The problem is Trump took a meeting with Kanye after that whole first round of shit that he said. It's like, how is that not a good, where's your decision-making skills and where are the people around you to, to alert him to say, hey, this probably isn't a good idea. Um, leave like Fuentes completely out of it. And so that's your one problem. But Trump doing that is not, again, a, a wholesale acceptance of the entire political right. And we've seen that, you know, Trump's numbers have suffered over that. And as of Kanye, so it looks and the election certainly looks to be a rejection of a lot of that, um, which is interesting for people trying to, again, tie Kanye around the political right. And again, it's the same people and they're just very much invested in pushing their political narrative. And that's people, again, the NBC reporters and MSNBC and things like that. Um, and, and I stated, again, this will probably be the last time I do this before I stick my head in a microwave, is I state that it wasn't conservatives who made Kanye a billionaire. It wasn't the political right who made him a billionaire. It wasn't the political right who made Donald Trump a, uh, a billionaire. Uh, that was our media culture. And that was uh, The Apprentice. And that was, you know, him appearing with Larry King and on Oprah and everywhere in the eighties and the nineties and getting his uh, reputation rehab by Jeff Zucker, who then goes on to be the president of CNN. Um, and as I've always said with, and I'm not saying Kanye's a Republican or if that's what he's going to try to run, he, he may try to run as a, as a Republican or whatever. Um, but they're, they were fine with Kanye's craziness. This is the point I was making to this, you know, Lorenz clone for NBC is you people were, it's not like he just suddenly snapped last week, okay? We have a pretty long fucking history of who Kanye West is. And you you choose to buy into that. 
Um, some of us didn't make that choice. And I'm very, very much sitting here with my arms crossed on, you know, on the throne of king of my castle because I'm like, yep, good decision making pays off. And so, but it was mostly our media who Kanye's still out here, you know, talking about slavery and shit like that, who are still doing his live streams and buying his albums and calling him a genius. And as I, you know, to just finish this up before I dump you and get off this topic is, um, maybe we should stop doing that. Maybe we should stop giving billions of our dollars or corporations to stop giving billions of dollars in endorsements to people who constantly talk about what a genius they are, whether it's Sam Bakeman Freed, Kanye West, or even Donald Trump. So Totally agreed. And I still don't believe that the only Kanye song you know is Flashing Lights. You, you at least remember Gold Digger. Anyway, uh, thanks for my call. And uh, and uh, I, 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 I move over Substack. I, I hate this credit card bullshit on Patreon. Uh, yeah, I'm working on it. That's all I can say. And no, I, I Are, pretty much I pretty much swear that it's the only Kanye song I know by name. I'm sure I've heard others. I'm sure I've heard them in right. passing. Um, I gave my I, I was at the, I was at my gym today, and my trainer always blares like Kanye style or Drake hip hop or whatever. And I just told him I was like, dude, this better not be Kanye. You better turn this off. And I was like, I don't need, you know, my watch accidentally tweeting that, oh, you know, conservative columnist Stephen L. Miller is listening to Kanye at the gym and I'm canceled now. Um, so, no, I, I'm 100 percent honest with you that it's the only song I can name of his by name. And it's, be- and it's because it was on a video game that I just knew. I mean, so he that had a it. song called Black Skinhead. I don't know why we're surprised. Anyway, uh, you have a good night. Great. Thanks for taking my call. All right. All right. I'm going to jump up. And just because this has been one of my sausage fest nights, uh, I'm going to cut us off here at Angie. But go. Ahead. Uh, hey, Steve. I, I don't have much. I was just going to say um, uh, a couple thoughts uh, to anyone out there. If, if you're not familiar with Vijaya Gata, I, I highly recommend you go back and you uh, watch the Joe Rogan um, that she was on with Jack Dorsey and Tim Pool and everything that you saw tonight is super believable if you watch what what she did on that show and Jack Dorsey was checked out then that's why he brought her on the show like Jack didn't want to answer any questions cuz he didn't have any answers and she was there to do that so like none of the, I don't think we were surprised by very much tonight and uh other than that pretty much everything else has been covered uh, I only have one thought on Kanye's getting um, uh, suspended, and I just think that's Elon was thinking he was doing Kanye a favor by letting him not self-emulate on uh, on Twitter, and he just said, you know, let's cut this off for Kanye's sake. I really believe that. And then uh, other than that, you know, the the First Amendment, you know, it's not absolute. Uh, the argument going around, Musk is on Twitter responding to some of this stuff, and he's talking about uh, Biden's team. Obviously, Twitter suspending, you know, Twitter blocking stuff on its own is not a violation of the First Amendment. Uh, he's, yeah, here's his tweet. Twitter acting by itself to suppress free speech is not a First Amendment violation, but acting under orders from the government to suppress free speech with no judicial review is. And he's getting some pushback on that because he's, is it in regards to the Biden, the Hunter Biden story? Uh, because he Biden wasn't president when that story was blocked. Um, so that that's true. 
But Biden was president when accounts were being banned via the DHS and CDC recommendation. Um, that, of course, is Biden is the president and those are departments he's in charge of, uh, whether he, he thinks he is or not at this point. Um, and so to kind of correct that a bit, again, this is all kind of tied together. It's uh, once they think that they can get an, a story that makes Hunter Biden or Joe Biden in, in particular look bad, they can get that blocked. That now empowers them to say, hey, we need these accounts blocked. And, hey, we need these ones blocked as well. And, hey, by the way, this one uh, is questioning, you know, the lizard person vaccines, whatever. And that's just crazy. And that has 56 followers. And we need to get that one blocked. And like I said, it's it's all connected. The Hunter Biden story to where we are today through the pandemic, through banning accounts. Uh, right. He's right. If Twitter just took it upon themselves to say, hey, we're getting rid of this. Great. But Twitter exclusively decided to throw themselves in with the CDC and said, we are only going to share and back up what the CDC is saying via, and Facebook did the same thing. And if you question that, you're gone. And that effectively turns Twitter into a tech, a, a social media platform that exists at the whims of the federal government that they're willing to do because they like who the president is and who the administration is, and they have friends upon high. And so that's the larger issue. But uh, Musk's getting pushback for basically saying, you know, Biden's team banning this is not is obviously the problem is. But Biden was not obviously the president when the Hunter Biden story was blocked. But the question, I guess I would argue, is when you have someone like Jim Baker, who was an, an intel specialist and a, and a lawyer serving general counsel for the uh, um, the, the Steele dossier, and the, which was then used to get FISA warrants on several members of the Trump administration, Michael Flynn in particular, and Carter Page and a few others. Um, I mean, this is a guy who's connected upon high in the federal government advising Twitter. And so this kind of goes back to what Gator's comments were, that all of this shit is kind of connected. And if all that happens is the Elon Musk blowing the doors off of the depths of those connections, then I'm 100% all for it. Right on, yeah. All right, well, uh, you know, if Kanye trends again because he goes on, like, say, InfoWars and you don't want to do a call-in about it, let me know and I'll come on and do World Cup, you know. But other than that, go America, go Broncos. You have a good night. Yeah, it's going to be a fun one on Sunday. I'm glad I'm going to miss it. Thanks, just pick me. Angie up. Angie looks like a new face. So, Angie, any thoughts on what you saw from Matt Taibbi and uh, dropping the files on the New York Post story as well? Um, any initial reaction? I'll give her a minute. I know that uh, I know that I do this to fuck with people. So probably not ready. Angie, there's a mute button right down there at the bottom. If uh, you need to hit that to speak, you just do that right there. Okay. All right. I'm going to move up to Joseph. Angie, feel free to jump back there, and I will uh, finish with you if you can jump back. So go ahead. Anything on the Hunter Biden story? Um... It is quite interesting how Ro Khanna is the only Democrat that looks good in the story. Yeah, I want to see more about who's talking. He he did list a few reps, and as I said, I mean, I'm just taking initial reactions. I gotta uh, still dig into this, probably fucking tonight. Still, um, 
but yeah. yeah, it's he's the only guy who, according to what at least what we know right now, is basically the only guy who, and he and it's funny that he did it through his Gmail. I don't know how many people caught that little detail, but he didn't do it through his government account because that those. Those email, if he does that, that can be free of information acted. So he does it through his Gmail account, and I mean, he, he comes off looking pretty good in that. He's he's just sitting here going, "Hey, you know, there's a concern here. There's a First Amendment concern that you're doing this. We're getting." He's saying we're getting backlash to this, and you're basically blowing the story up bigger than it needed to be. And I agree with all of that. Um, it, the Hunter Biden story probably goes away. In four to five days, you still get memes from it. We still see it like we kind of did on social media, but it does it, it doesn't it goes from being a story about the hunter the the president's degenerate son, which he is, not because of his drug use. I don't care about that. Um, but it goes from being a story like a niche story like that in in a generally considered biased newspaper that you know it's the biggest thing when you live in New York. It's the Post or the Times. Which one do you read? Or the New York or, or you know Daily News. And so it's generally, it can be written off fairly easy. And this is why, this is what was always weird to me about it is because, like I said, that's what media would do. Like CNN wouldn't even covered it. And NBC wouldn't have even covered it. It would have just been this kooky story that they all would have just said, oh, this is just another Russia information campaign, whatever. But it shows you kind of how terrified they were that Biden might actually lose the election. And as I've always said, the biggest problem with where journalists are now on narrative building is not a single one of them wanted to be the reporter that, you know, saw Donald Trump walk back into the White House for four years. And that is what we saw. And we had Molly Ball basically admit that in Time magazine, which is why they let those stories die. They didn't cover them. They're they, not covering the Tony Babalewski stuff, um, the, the Hunter Biden's connections for China. And he's walking out of Ukraine with thousands of dollars. And for the big guy, th those aren't conspiracies. Those are legitimate questions that probably should be answered. Unfortunately, they're going to be answered by grandstanding Republicans here in a few months who don't really care about getting to the bottom of it. Um, and so, yeah, the fact that, you know, Ro Khanna was the only damn, the only one so far, again, Taibbi's threat is ongoing. Um, he's the only one so far who was like, hey, maybe this wasn't such a hot idea. And it looks like the rest of the Democratic Party were all in on Leroy Jenkins their way around the yeah, absolutely. And I think the more shocking part about, like, this whole story is not so much necessarily, like, the whole, like, stuff about, like, um, this, like, you know, stuff on Twitter that's getting revealed. I think it's more or less, like, just the the reactions from journal from, from journals and, lib and liberal pundits, like, Media Hassan, um, Ben Collins, obviously, Tim Miller, all the usual suspects is that, like, they, like, they... They're trying to, like, say, like, Matt Taibbi is acting more like a PR guy for Musk, even though, like, he's just trying his best to, like, get to the bottom of the story, which, like, it took, like, two and a half years to finally get out. Yeah, I don't I don't see the acting as the PR guy for Musk. I mean, every single one of these journalists have sources that hand them uh, top secret stuff that they then source and they go, we viewed it. We obviously saw a good example is the Dobbs leak. It's a perfect example of this, and none of them had a problem with that one. And yeah. so, um, again, it's they're just it's brinkmanship, it's political wargaming, and the problem is is that we have you know a legitimate act of journalism happening, and here you have people whose entire jobs are supposed to be about reporting and journalism, 
uh, basically just acting on their political whims. And when you're someone who has been as wrong as Ben Collins has been in the last three to four or five weeks, um, the the testicular fortitude on his part to go out there and just hang his brass balls and say, you know, the Substack guy. (laughs) Yeah, there's a reason why the Substack guy got this story and the NBC tech reporter did not. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, that's all I got for you, Captain. Hopefully more stuff from the story comes out. Uh, I I think it's a safe bet that that's going to happen. So thanks, Joseph. Uh, I'm going to... Sorry, I did remove a couple of you back there. Uh, This is just going to be a part one. So once I'm able to kind of dive more into this kind of stuff, uh, form a more coherent uh, opinion on some of the reaction to it, then uh, we'll probably have a more... Uh, deeper reaction to it probably tomorrow is what I'm going to look at. So it'll be a part two. Uh, and, and so I also know it's earlier, so we'll probably get more callers on there. But Kenneth, your last, give me your impressions on uh, what you saw from the Taibi thread or uh, anything with I'm not going to lie. I'm tired. So if Kenneth drops, I'm no problem with that tonight give him a minute and he's gone hey that's pretty cool that's that's like getting off work early um this has been uh episode 70 the twitter files this will be a part one and uh, i'll get more of a reaction obviously tomorrow taibi is he's basically killed his thread for the night and he said he has more coming out so whether that's tomorrow or monday um this does look to be kind of an orchestrated stunt or slash event with elon musk and so um, and also Matt Taibbi has a show here on Colin. So I doubt Elon Musk would be doing that here on Colin, but who knows? And no, I have no plans to get Elon Musk on to get Colin with me. So, uh, again, thanks to my callers. This was kind of like, uh, a relief to have to not talk about a certain hip hop star, uh, for the most part. Uh, so I guess I appreciate Taibbi and Musk for at least giving me that tonight. Um, it's been a long week. It's been a dumpster fire of a week. So I appreciate you guys, uh, hearing me vent and letting you vent and especially my listeners here, uh, again. So thank you. Most likely we'll be back here tomorrow to have a part two on this whole thing, depending on what developments there are. So again, thanks to my callers. Thanks to my audience.